For over a year now, my children have from time to time told the exact same story from when one of my sons put put pepper on his food only to have the lid come completely off the pepper shaker. It was a a comical uh, moment at the dinner table and, and I was in the middle of actually finishing a sentence when this was happening. I saw the the pepper spilling out in slow motion before my eyes, and the sentence that I was speaking went into slow motion too. I I elongated my words as I I finished the sentence. And now, whenever my children retell that story, when they recount that story, they repeat the exact words I was uttering and how I uttered them. So they they elongate the words too. These, these verbal cues and quirks like elongating words or repeating words and, and audibly emphasizing words actually help us to recount stories. They form a kind of, of rhythm that help us remember them. We tell stories and we retell them so that they won't fade from our memories. We retell them to remember them. The story that we're setting together this morning, the story of Ruth, must have been told over and over and over again among the people of Israel. This story, like all good stories, has repetition, has verbal cues and and quirks. It's a story that's told with a smile because it's one of the best uh, best best-known love stories in the Bible. It's told with a smile because it has a happy message. God redeems His people through covenant faithfulness, kindness, and love. And as we begin to think about the happy message of Ruth again, let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to Ruth chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 13 this morning, just really the first half of Ruth chapter 2. If you're following along in one of the Bibles provided there, you should be able to find uh, Ruth chapter 2 beginning on page 222. So Ruth chapter 2, I think, begins on page 222. What a happy coincidence for a happy book. Um, Well, while you're turning there, uh, let me just remind you a little bit of the background for the book and what has transpired so far in this great story. Ruth is a Moabite woman who comes to faith in the one true God. Though she was a childless widow, the Lord was pleased to use her grief to display His grace. Through a series of surprising events, Ruth marries Boaz And becomes the great-grandmother of King David. And that's what this book is about. It is about God working in and through history, in and through the lives of individuals, to accomplish His redemptive purposes. Yes, the book of Ruth is a, a love story between Ruth and Boaz. But ultimately, it tells the story of God's love for God's people. In that sense, it places its finger on the very pulse of the storyline of the Bible. This story is not principally about biblical manhood and womanhood, though we do find principles pertaining to biblical manhood and womanhood in it. This story is not about how you can find a spouse at work, though that happens for Ruth and Boaz. This story is not about how you can make your interest or availability known to a member of the opposite sex, though that also happens in this story. This story is also not principally about how to be a faithful widow, though we do discover what that looks like in Ruth. We can and should glean wisdom in these matters and others along the way, but let's not miss the principal purpose of this book. This book tells the story of how God will send His people 
a redeemer and king. It reminds us that God is at work producing life in a world marred by sin, famine, and death. It reminds us that God works in the lives of ordinary people to accomplish His extraordinary and eternal purposes. The book of Ruth helps us to anticipate God's greater purposes of sending His one and only most beloved Son to redeem His people from slavery to sin so that He might rule over them in His grace and love. It is my prayer prayer, that as we study this love story, we would remember God's love revealed for us in Jesus Christ. Well, so far in our love story, the lovers have yet to meet. In fact, from what we have studied so far, Ruth chapter 1, this doesn't seem like a love story at all. It seems more like a tragedy. A famine had fallen on the land, and in particular, upon Bethlehem. And Bethlehem uh, means house of bread, so it's a particularly devastating famine. Naomi, her husband, and Elimelech, and their two sons set out to find food. They, they left Bethlehem. They found a place to settle in Moab. But death struck the family, claiming the lives of Elimelech and Naomi's two sons. Naomi's daughter-in-law, daughters-in-law, contemplated returning to Bethlehem with Naomi. But only Ruth persevered. Ruth was determined not to leave the side of Naomi. More than that, she was determined to trust in the one true God. Ruth's faith mirrors that of Abraham's faith, who left his homeland, his gods, his culture, and his family to serve the true and living God. Ruth put her whole hope, her very life, in the hands of the one true God. And as Ruth and Naomi arrived together in Bethlehem, were painfully made aware of Naomi's grief. She has been devastated, and she can barely carry the weight of her loss into the city of Bethlehem. Her life has been filled with bitter providences, and she tells everyone in the town that she went away full, but the Lord brought her back empty. As chapter 1 closed, we're told that the barley harvests had begun. With the beginning of the barley harvest set before us and the house of bread being filled up again, we're being encouraged to hope that the God, that God who is filling up the house of bread will also fill up the life of Naomi, a life that has been emptied by sin and famine and death. God will fill up Naomi's life with untold blessing through this widow who has returned with Naomi. And as much as Naomi protested that the Lord brought her back empty, he did not. She found more in Moab than she lost. She just didn't know it yet. And as we're waiting for Naomi to recognize what she has found in Ruth, chapter 2 opens and tells us how God helps the lovers to find one another. This morning, we're only going to look at the first two scenes in this chapter. The first scene brings Ruth and Boaz together to the same place. And the second brings them together in conversation. Should the Lord tarry, Lord willing, we'll take up the study of the second half of chapter 2 on another Lord's Day. For today, we'll simply consider these first two scenes in verses 1 through 13. We're going to think about them under two headings, and they both focus in on the couple, Ruth and Boaz. First, the two converge, and second, the two converse. Those are the two points that are going to form the outline of the rest of this sermon. So let's begin with the first scene in chapter 2, where Ruth and Boaz are brought to the same place. As we consider how the two converge, 
Uh, read Ruth chapter 2, verses 1 to 7 now. Ruth chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happens to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of the Limelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country, country of Moab. She said, Please, let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Well, the main thing that happens in these verses is that Ruth and Boaz are brought to the same place. Along the way, the author is heightening the tension, growing our expectations, and introducing a new character to us, but not without a few twists. Up to this point in the book, we have yet to meet Boaz. We've been confronted with the problem. Naomi's family line has apparently died off. Elimelech's land and his line will be forever lost if something dramatic does not happen. And then something dramatic happens. The author in verse 1 introduces us to Boaz. And notice how closely he places Boaz's name right next to Ruth's name. It's not an accident. In verse 1, we are greeted with a surprise. Naomi, surprisingly, has a relative in Bethlehem. He's one of the same clan of Elimelech. And he's not just anyone, he's a worthy man. That phrase not only means that he's worth a lot, that he's got a lot of wealth, but that he's also a noble man. Here, we're being invited by the author to hope that maybe somehow the Lord will use Boaz to redeem Naomi's family line and land. He has the family connection, and he has the wealth necessary to make it happen. So we are encouraged to hope that Boaz might be the one who meets the needs of Naomi and Ruth. That must be the author's intention. For look at verse 2 and consider what we find on the lips of Ruth. Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. We've just met a man, and now Ruth is hoping to find the help of a man. Ruth, as we know, is a determined woman. She tells Naomi to let her go and work, and she is hoping that a field owner will grant her permission to collect the needed food for her and Naomi really to survive. Ruth rather innocently wishes to find favor in the sight of a nobleman who will allow her to glean. And by the time we get down to verse 5, we, we know that Ruth has caught Boaz's eye. Perhaps one of the funniest expressions in these verses is right there in verse 3, where we're told that she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. That phrase, she happened to come, it's actually a Hebrew idiom, and it means something like, as luck would have it, Ruth turned up to that field. 
you know, you can imagine Hebrew fathers recounting this story as part of the story to their families and friends with a big, wide smile. Hebrews and Christians, they don't believe in luck. We believe in providence. We believe that God is preserving and governing all of His creatures and all of their actions, as the old catechisms say. One of our church's elders, I won't name names, Derek, doesn't use the phrase potluck. Uh, he, he uses the phrase pot providence. We believe that God is in control of all things, orchestrating all things. It's not by luck that we show up to the same place with food. It's by planning and by God's providence. Yes, God is in control of all things. What else could the sovereignty of God mean? And here, as it just so happens, God is bringing Ruth to Boaz's field. And notice how verse 3 ends. We're once again reminded that Boaz is related to Elimelech. That's the second time the author wants us to keep this connection in our minds. He is implicitly uh, provoking his audience to remember that Boaz might just be the one who will meet the needs of Naomi and Ruth. Now, in, in the story of Ruth, this will be explained uh, in further detail later on, but he wants us to keep making this connection. It just so happened that Ruth came to Boaz's field. And in verse 4, we also learn that it just so happened that Boaz turned up to oversee his workers. Just as our eyes are about to settle on Ruth, diligently working in the field, the author says in verse 4, And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. So, so do you hear what the author is saying? Just as our eyes start to settle on Ruth, he says, Behold, look, here comes Boaz. Here comes the worthy man. Other bells should be ringing in our minds as we consider what is taking place. Think of the, the, the name of the town, he's, the city he's coming from. He's coming from Bethlehem. Bethlehem's the city of David. That's the trajectory of this book. Through it, we're learning how the Lord would bring David to the throne. And of course, let's not forget that Jesus, David's greater son, came from Bethlehem too. Just as Boaz would eventually bring rest for Ruth and Naomi, so David would bring rest for Israel by finally bringing them out of the days of the judges. And Jesus would bring eternal rest for sinners like you and me. Now we've already been told that he's noble, but now we get to see it and hear it in his words and deeds. He speaks, he speaks a blessing from the Lord on the reapers. And, and they, these reapers, knowing that his heart is set on the God of heaven, in reply, they speak a blessing from heaven upon Boaz. This is certainly a common kind of cultural practice, a way of greeting one another. But given Boaz's life, how it so closely reflects the character of God, we can be sure that he issues this blessing with sincerity. And after we hear Boaz's first words of blessing, we see that his eyes fall quickly upon Ruth. Is it love at first sight? Well, that's not usually how it works. Plus, notice what he asks the manager there, the field manager, in verse 5. Whose young woman is this? Boaz assumes that Ruth either belongs to uh, another a man, that she's married, she belongs to another clan, uh, she's under the care of a father, or, or that, she's, uh, uh, that she is, is under uh, someone's care in another way. What might be the idea of belonging uh, with, kind of, in this culture? What's, what's attached with it? What protection is attached with it? Compassion and care 
is attached with it. Ruth, she, she's not property. Boaz knows that. Husbands and wives rightly view each other as belonging to one another. And that does not imply property. It implies relationship, protection, and care. And when the foreman answers Boaz's inquiry, uh, what Boaz discovers is that Ruth is not protected. She's vulnerable. She's, she's open to assault and abuse. She has exposed herself to danger by going to the field. And she has done it so that Naomi might live. Naomi needs to eat and live. Ruth is risking her safety and security so that Naomi might have safety and security as long as she lives. Love gives up its own safety and security to procure the safety and security of another. Is that not what love does? Didn't the Lord Jesus give up His safety and security, leaving heaven to come and live and love and die for us so that we might eternally live with Him? Both Boaz and Ruth point us forward to the care and love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Boaz and we as readers learn something else about Ruth from this foreman. She turned up early. She started right away and worked hard, only taking a short rest. Ruth, as we saw there in chapter 1, is determined. And as we're seeing here, she's also diligent. Yes, we can learn to be faithful and diligent workers from Ruth, but that's not the central point that the author wants us to grasp. He wants us to see Ruth's character. He wants us to see what love looks like, love for another looks like. He wants us to see her willingness to spend herself for the sake of others. Ruth certainly does spend herself for the sake of Naomi. After the barley was cut by Boaz's men, it would then be bound together in sheaves and taken away. Only the stalks and scraps that remain were left behind. And these would be available for the poor and for foreigners to come behind and pick up. Gleaning was humble and hard. But Ruth gave herself to the work out of love for Naomi. Ruth's willingness to lay down her life for Naomi certainly reminds me of Jesus' willingness to lay down His life for us. So far in the story, the author has cultivated within us a desire to see the, the conflict of this story resolved. We want to see Naomi and Ruth's needs met through Boaz. Ruth has been presented to us over and over again as a worthy woman. We've seen that she's full of faith and love. And we want to see the Lord bring Ruth and Boaz together. And just as we begin to think about to ourselves, finally, they're, they're in the right place at the right time. The Lord has brought them together. We also notice that they're actually pushed apart. Obstacles are placed between them. I wonder if you noticed it. Look at what the foreman said again in verse 6. What did he mention twice about Ruth? Twice he mentioned that she was from Moab. She's a foreigner, Boaz. She's not a part of the people of Israel, Boaz. And when the foreman tells him that she came back with Naomi, he's saying, she's a widow, Boaz. Such reminders would stifle the affections of a common man. So we're left to wonder, how will God meet the needs of this foreign but faithful widow? How will God meet the needs of this long-suffering and loving widow? Will Boaz recognize that though Ruth is not part of the people of Israel ethnically, that she is part of the people of God in a more fundamental manner? 
that she is spiritually included in the people of God because she has faith like Abraham, will Boaz recognize that as widows, Ruth and Naomi are in need of protection and provision? Will Boaz see that true beauty is not tied to culture, race, ethnicity, or wealth? He is from Bethlehem. He is from the city of David. So will he have a heart like David? Is he a man after God's own heart like David was? In other words, will Boaz look upon these women as God does? These are the questions that the author wants cropping up in our minds. Well, let's keep reading to see if we can get some answers. In fact, let's turn to the second scene, which brings Ruth and Boaz together in conversation where the two converse. And as we consider this second point, read Ruth chapter 2, verses 8 to 13. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have, you, have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. Well, the author moves this story along fairly quickly, doesn't he? One moment Boaz was talking with the foreman, and the next he's speaking with Ruth. This conversation in the field reveals that Boaz wastes no time in securing Ruth's protection, provision, and place among his servants. Some of the questions that we just raised before reading these verses are being answered, aren't they? Now, before we dive into the particulars of this conversation... It's important for us to recall a biblical provision, an important biblical provision. Boaz was well aware that inscribed in God's law was an explicit and expressed concern for widows, for foreigners, and for the poor. God has always had a concern for widows, foreigner, foreigners, and the poor. And Ruth, she actually fits all three categories. One of the provisions in God's law that's brought out here in Ruth chapter 2 is found in Leviticus chapter 19, Verses 9 and 10. So keeping one finger here, turn in your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 19. I want us to look at verses 9 and 10. And if you're using one of the Bibles provided, that's on page 97. Page 97. Now, in the book of Leviticus, holiness is one of the main themes of the book of Leviticus. And here, in Leviticus 19, the Lord is calling the people of Israel to reflect His holy character in some very practical matters in their lives. One of the ways that they were to reflect God's generous and holy character is how they reap their harvest. So take a look at Leviticus chapter 19. Read verses 9 and 10 there. This is the Lord instructing His people. 
When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. Now you see what's being communicated here is really quite simple. In Leviticus, to the field and vineyard owners, the Lord is saying, don't reap all of the field. Don't strip your field completely bare. Leave some for the poor and for the sojourners. The poor and the sojourner would have to come and work for their sustenance. They would have to collect grapes. They would have to collect the gleanings left on the ground. They would have to work in order to eat. But the main focus of the provision is aimed at the people of Israel. The law is aimed at them, not at the sojourner. Now maybe you think God is micromanaging His people. Maybe He is. And maybe they need it. Maybe it's our impulse to be stingy instead of generous. Maybe it's our temptation to seek our security in the labors of our hands instead of in the Lord of love. Step back for a minute and think about how attractive the land of Israel would have been for immigrants. Israel's God had commanded His people to provide food for the poor and the sojourner. He was practically inviting the nations to come and experience His blessings. It's precisely what God wanted. He wanted to draw the nations in so that they might come to know Him. He wanted His people to display His grace and His generosity so that people from every tongue and tribe and nation would come to know that He is a gracious and generous God. The people of God are no longer organized under a theocratic nation-state. Instead, today, God's people are scattered across the globe to display the blessings of God. I wonder, are our lives marked by this kind of inviting generosity toward those around us? Are our lives marked by a willingness to, to bless others and for it to be so evident that others might be comfortable enough to come to us in a time of need and help. Let's pray for our lives to be marked by this kind of generosity and for the Lord to be pleased to use our generosity to point others to His generosity in Jesus Christ. Why would God carve out this command, this provision for the poor and the sojourner? I've already mentioned one reason. God wanted to see the poor and the foreigners come to trust in Him for their salvation, to take refuge in Him. And there's another more kind of common grace reason for this command. From God's vantage point, human beings are not mere economic units. They are human beings. They are those who are made in God's image, and therefore their lives are worthy of preservation. They're worthy of life. They have a right to life. For preservation to take place, for life to continue, Provision must be provided. In this command of provision, the Lord was not only encouraging His people to be generous, but He was also encouraging them to see the poor and the foreigners within their community as He sees them, worthy of life and love, worthy of compassion and care, worthy of protection and provision. They bear the image of God. And among all of the people on earth, the people of Israel should have known this. This law was given not only in Leviticus 19, but also in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 22, 
And Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 19 to 22. The Lord surely repeated it because He wanted His people to remember it. Now, turning back to Ruth chapter 2 because you kept your finger there. It's on page 222 of the Bible's provided in case you didn't. 222. Turning back to Ruth chapter 2. We see that Boaz, he is keeping the law of God by allowing Ruth to work in the field and thus reflecting the grace and the generosity of the God who gave the law. In keeping the law, Boaz certainly points us forward to Jesus who would fully keep the law for us. Boaz reflects God in another way. He speaks so gently to Ruth. Did you notice his tender words? He says there, Now listen, my daughter. Boaz, we've been told, is a worthy man. Now, it takes time to establish that kind of wealth and credibility. Boaz is likely older than Ruth. And he speaks to her, did you notice, in familial terms. He calls her my daughter. He's drawing her in. He is looking on Ruth, not as a foreigner, but as family. Here is Ruth, far away from home, unaware of the customs of the land, but so concerned for Naomi's life and well-being that she risks reproach and rebuke to provide Naomi with food. And Boaz's first words could have hardly been more comforting for her to hear. Aware of her situation, he must have considered how his words could either harm or heal. And still he goes on, not only in gentleness, but also in generosity. He welcomes her to his field and commands her not to leave it. She has a place among his servants, and they have been made aware of it. Boaz lets Ruth know that she is welcome to the water that his male servants draw. Now, I wonder if you recognize how extraordinary this is. In the ancient Near Eastern culture, it would ordinarily be the responsibility of the foreigner to draw water for the host culture. Plus, this task was also normally left for the women to perform for the men. But did you notice who Boaz said would draw the water for the woman, Ruth, his young men? Perhaps these men are being taught a lesson in true manhood, that men are to serve instead of waiting to be served. And they are to serve everyone, not just those who are like them. They are to serve everyone, and not just those from whom they may receive something in return. Boaz serves Ruth, and he calls others to serve her as well. We should perhaps be a bit shocked by this whole approach. Let's not forget that Boaz crosses several barriers in this conversation with Ruth, just like Jesus did in his conversation with the woman at the well in John chapter 4. Boaz, he crossed a racial barrier. He was a Jew, and she was a Gentile. Boaz crossed a sexual barrier. He was a man and she was a woman. Boaz crossed an economic barrier. He was wealthy, and she was impoverished. Boaz was inviting Ruth to trust him with her life, and Jesus certainly invites us to trust him with our whole lives. And let's not forget that Boaz has even spoken to the young men. They are not to touch Ruth, as he says. This command, it's fairly broad. It actually prohibits verbal, physical, and sexual violence. Up till now, Ruth has had no protector. She has had no one to seek justice for her should she be taken advantage of. But now she does. And it's the man who owns the field. His servants know 
that should they mistreat her in any way, he's going to come down on them like a ton of bricks. We should appreciate how sensitive Boaz is. He knows the hearts of men. He knows that they're prone to sin and prone to dehumanize women so that they may be used as objects. Boaz is a protector, not just for Ruth, but for those young men too. He is protecting them by teaching them that Ruth and women more generally are made in God's image and worthy of honor, compassion, protection, and care. Ruth is not an object. She is a daughter, as he said in verse 8. How often do men and women forget who they are and who God has made them to be? Perhaps this is at the heart of our society's struggles concerning sexuality. And that is true for every kind of problem concerning sexuality, from lust to adultery to attraction to sexual identity. We fail to view ourselves and others from God's perspective. When we make ourselves the reference point for what we feel we ought to be or what we feel we ought to do, we have rejected God's perspective on us and have taken up our own. It was kind of Boaz to remind Ruth and his young men of their humanity and therefore their dignity. But now we get to hear Ruth's response to all of this gentleness and generosity from Boaz. Her answer, you'll notice there, is short, crisp, and humble. Ruth fell to the ground, undoubtedly overwhelmed by the generosity and the gestures of Boaz. He was providing life for Naomi and Ruth. She was amazed. Brothers and sisters, how often do we fall to the ground amazed at God's generous grace toward us in giving us life in our Redeemer, Jesus Christ? In humility, Ruth asks, why? Shouldn't that be the question that we utter in view of God's grace? Why are you so kind? Why are you so loving? As a reader who, who wants to see these two drawn together, I kept thinking to myself, get up, Ruth. This is your man. No, don't, don't remind him that you're a foreigner. Don't remind him that there are differences between you that ordinarily would be insurmountable. Don't bring these things up that might prevent you two from being drawn together. But that's the furthest thing from Ruth's mind at this moment. Ruth asks why. And the question, it actually has a, a double edge to it. Yes, it's, it's a question of humility, marveling at what she's being given. But it's also a question of hesitation. When you think about it, it's a legitimate question. Why would Boaz extend such care to her? What kind of motives does he have? We know from the author that he's a worthy man, but Ruth doesn't know this man from Adam. She is humble, but she may also be hesitant. Ruth asks why, and Boaz tells her why there in verses 11 and 12. Now, if we had to summarize the kind of Boaz's answer as to why he's being so generous and gracious to Ruth, then I think, I think we could simply say in one word, it, 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 his answer kind of boils down to one word. That word's love. Boaz is being gracious and generous to Ruth because he has heard of Ruth's love for Naomi and for her love of the Lord. Even now, he is seeing her love for Naomi in action. In love, Ruth has sought Naomi's good. 
She has sacrificed her life. She has sacrificed her hope for marriage and security and children. All so that Naomi might have a companion and a servant in widowhood. Ruth has sacrificed her life in love for Naomi. Ultimately, because she loves the God of Israel. She has not put her life in earthly hands, including her own. She has put her life in the hands of the one who made the earth. Boaz is saying to Ruth, My dear daughter, I am showing kindness to you because you have sacrificially loved your mother-in-law and because you have seen that the Lord that I love is worthy of love and trust. Notice too, at this critical moment when Boaz is recognizing all that Ruth has given up for Naomi and the Lord. At this moment, when Boaz is recognizing that Ruth has given up the dream of a husband, she's given up a home, she's given up children, that the words of Genesis and marriage are on his lips. In the middle of verse 11, Boaz says that Ruth has left her father and mother. That is likely a deliberate echo of Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, where we're told that a man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall become one flesh. Boaz's words to Ruth dare us to hope that one day soon, the Lord will repay Ruth, just as Boaz says in verse 12, through marriage to him. Boaz heard and saw that Ruth sought refuge and protection from the God of Israel. And now Boaz is trying to reflect the God he loves by offering the refuge and protection that he can. True love, you see, moves toward the problems. Boaz has moved toward Ruth. He has initiated this conversation with her. He's taken responsibility. He, without prompting, offers provision and protection. Is this not what God has done for us in Jesus Christ? In our sin, He has moved toward us problem people. He has moved toward us in love in order to redeem us from the wages of sin and death. He has offered us to come and take refuge in Jesus Christ and to find rest and refuge for our souls. Friend, if you are here today and you're not a believer, follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to come to Jesus in faith today, to seek refuge in Jesus Friend, we are all sinners, each and every one of us. We are all in need, just like Ruth was in need. We, are, we may not be in need uh, physically, but we are certainly in need spiritually. We have all decided to live our own way rather than God's way. Our rebellion has separated us from God. We are in danger of facing God's eternal punishment for our sin. That's what... Sin is. Sin is rebellion against God. It is choosing to live our own way rather than God's way. And we deserve to die for our sin. The Bible tells us that the wages, the, the correct payment that's due to sin is death. But the free and generous gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, just as Boaz came to Ruth in her time of need to give her life, protection and provision so in the fullness of time God sent forth his son Jesus Christ to redeem sinners like us just as Boaz kept the law so Jesus kept the law unlike Boaz and Ruth and you and me Jesus was perfectly free 
from sin. He was fully man and fully God. He never sinned, not even once. He perfectly obeyed God the Father. He humbled Himself and died in the place of sinners like you and me so that we might escape God's wrath against our sin. So that we might have a shelter, a refuge. And three days after Jesus' death, God the Father raised the Lord Jesus Christ from the grave, vindicating Him and proving to us all that everyone who takes refuge in Jesus Christ through repentance and faith will be saved. We hide ourselves under the wings of Jesus by turning away from our sin, turning away from living for ourselves, and turning to Him, believing that He lived, died, and rose again for us and for our salvation. And now, just like Boaz invited Ruth to receive provision and protection from Him, so Jesus invites us to receive eternal provision and protection from Him. Through repentance and faith, Jesus invites us to receive the provision of His righteous life, the life that we have not lived, but that He has lived for us, and the protection from God's wrath, from His sacrificial death and victorious resurrection. Friend, should you come to the Lord Jesus Christ in repentance and faith, you will be received into the covenant people of God, just as Ruth was. Boaz was inviting Ruth to drink from the same vessels as his servants. He wasn't keeping her at arm's length. He was drawing her in to the covenant community. And that's what Jesus does with those who come to Him in faith. He draws us in to the new covenant community. So I want to urge you to come to the Lord Jesus Christ in repentance and faith today. And if you want to know more about what it means to trust in Jesus, to take refuge in Him for the forgiveness of your sins, please do come and find me at the door after the service. Uh, speak with a friend or family member or a member of the church that you know here. There's nothing more important that you can think about than what it means to take refuge in Jesus Christ today. Children, youth, young adults, I want to speak to you for just a moment. Let me encourage you to see in Boaz's generosity the generosity of Jesus. Boaz, he moved toward Ruth. Once he became aware of her struggles and problems, he gave his wealth to meet her needs. That is what Jesus has done for sinners like you and me. And when you notice your siblings, or your classmates, or your friends in need, let me encourage you to remember Boaz, to remember Jesus, really, and move toward those in need to serve and encourage them. Maybe talk with your parents or a mature Christian about how you can move toward others and be generous toward them to reflect the generosity of the Lord Jesus Christ when you see them in need. Ruth's response to Boaz in verse 13 there is once again brief and humble. The favor that she sought out, that she set out to seek there in verse 2, Ruth acknowledges that she has found in God's providential kindness. She communicates to Boaz that his words and his actions have set her at peace. And then she goes one step further and communicates to him that she doesn't even view herself as being on par with his servants. The language that Ruth uses there at the end of verse 13 carries with it the idea that she is the lowest of the lowest possible servants. Doesn't Ruth's humility remind you of Jesus? In Philippians chapter 2, 
verses 7 and 8, the Apostle Paul tells us that Jesus took the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Ruth is a humble and lowly servant, not only for Naomi, but ultimately for God. And that is where this conversation in the field is left. It's left, frankly, with another barrier put between these two coming together. And, and this is going to happen again and again and again until God works mightily. Barriers will continue to crop up between these couples. Boaz has certainly offered provision and protection, but it only extends to the end of the harvest season. Ruth and Naomi's problem has not been permanently resolved. Will it? Well, this is where I'd like us to conclude. In Ruth chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, the two lovers, they have been brought together. Their paths have crossed and they've conversed. The question that remains is, will the two become one? They will. In due time, they will. We can be sure of it. The God who began a good work by bringing Naomi and Ruth back from Moab to Bethlehem, the God who made sure that as Naomi was out in the fields, that she made sure to hear that God had given the people of Israel food again. That same God also just happened to bring Ruth to Boaz's field, to the right place at the right time. He has had a plan all along. Don't we need to remember that each and every day? when the, the pieces of our day don't seem to make sense to us. We can trust our God. He, he brought these two lovers together so that King David might come and so that King Jesus would come. He has a plan for this world and for us at one and the same time. His plan includes the good of His people and the glory of His name. Whatever may be occurring in our lives, let us remember, like Ruth, that He is our refuge and strength, that He is our help in trouble. He is faithfully working out His loving plan and His purposes in our lives, and we can entrust ourselves to Him. Let's pray together.